Hello out there in podcast land again, and welcome back to Gen X Cinema Geeks. We are here for the fourth installment in our 90s countdowns. We are on 1993, episode four, A New Hope. (laughs) You are joined by me, Chris, and my brother, Rich. And we are here to tell you about our top 10 favorite films of 1993. Um... But first, I want to make a correction to something I said last time in 1992. I made a, I, you know, podcasting sometimes makes you a little nervous. And I was talking about Howard's End and I said it was set in the Victorian era, era and that is incorrect. It is actually set in the Edwardian era. So um, my bad, folks. I hope I caused you no major significant damage. That's your one per show. That is my one per show. So something I was kind of wanting to talk about this episode um, is, you know, we say that these are our favorite films of the year, right? So not necessarily the Academy Award winners. They could be, right? But they're not necessarily that. They're just our favorites. And so I kind of wanted to maybe give you guys a little glimpse into what makes a favorite and how a favorite might be different for him than it is for me. So, you know, maybe as you're listening, you're you're thinking, oh, yeah, I see what they're doing there and not just, yeah, she crazy. So, um, <laughs> with, uh, there is a fair amount of crazy. There is a fair amount of, yeah. So with no further ado, I'm going to let you tell the folks out in podcast world, what constitutes a favorite film for you? You know, it's kind of funny. I kind of struggled with this a little bit and I came up with an interesting analogy and it's a bit overused, but I like the kid in the candy store kind of analogy. Sometimes I feel like something sweet, maybe something chocolatey, maybe something a little sour, so my movies kind of vary from, you know, with my moods, but I do appreciate great cinematic quality. Are you Willy Wonka? No, I'm an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> <laughs> and fair, I know I'm not going to sing the song. Uh, anyway, as I was saying, um, yeah, sometimes you know you're in the mood for like something chocolatey that'll melt in your mouth and easily digestible, or sometimes you're looking for something a little harder to swallow, like a gobstopper. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, you know, I do appreciate... Um, movie that is competently made, well-crafted, well-acted, something that speaks to my my heart, makes me think, makes my brain percolate a little bit, and uh, I enjoy a good performance, and I just like immersing myself in the world that they create, and when they actually hit all the buttons with sets and costumes and score, it's just a complete package. I love the complete package. It's sort of like those C's candies that you get with like a little bit of everything in them. There it is. Okay, there's a lot of chocolate in that, and I, I'm not opposed to chocolate if we're yeah. being honest. So, um, I can I can be down with that. My criteria, um, I also like movies that are visually interesting, made well, sets acted well. I like movies that are written well. Um, I like good, smart dialogue um, and characters that I can actually root for. And I, you know, because we've talked about this a million times, but um, I like movies that are paced really well. I hate movies that drag, that are overdone, that are too long, that, you know, pontificate and bloviate. And that's not to say I don't like character driven stories. I do as long as the dialogue is compelling. And so it adds to the pacing of the movie and keeps you intrigued. Um, But a movie that's just slow and I can't get into, probably not going to end up on my favorites list. Most important to me is I like um, when I'm picking a favorite and the reason some of my (laughs) favorites that I've chosen have not been fan favorites. Um, 
you know, it, regardless of critical acclaim, I like a movie I can rewatch, a movie that I want to rewatch, a movie I can see multiple times and still enjoy it because, like you said, it speaks to my heart or it speaks to my brain. Um, or it just, you know, some movies just have to make you happy. That's their that's their job is to make you happy. But either way, I have to be able to watch it um, again repeatedly um, and, you know, having some plucky movie quotes to add to my repertoire is always a plus. Yes, because movie ease should be a language. Having said all of that, uh, let's dig into our favorites for 1993. Uh, a cracking year, to use one of your uh, terminologies. A bloody cracking year. A bloody cracking year. I believe it is your turn to uh, lead off. Yes, it is my turn. Ha ha ha. And um, I'm going to go on a little bit of a side rant here before we go off. Uh, as many people who are Gen Xers, such as ourselves, it is probably safe to say that we grew up with the movies of one Mr. Steven Spielberg. Uh, that said, he had a banging year in 1993. He had two movies out this year. One was the biggest critical darling, and one was the biggest motion picture of all time. You want to add something? Uh, one might even say he had a rip-snorting year. Yes, rip-snorting. But anyway, I wanted to talk really briefly about Steven Spielberg's relationship with one of the most peculiar fellows in uh, Hollywood, a gentleman by the name of Oscar, because uh, this was his year. Um, but he, his road to the Oscars was a long time coming. He, it started in the 70s, 75 actually, when he was Jaws was nominated for Best Picture, but he was snubbed for Best Director. Ouch. It's only the biggest grossing movie of the year and of all time at that point, so why should he be nominated for Director, right? <laughs> Needless to say, Jaws lost to Cuckoo's Nest, which is a fine film in and of itself. Well, he did, he did a good job, but it was devilishly hard for him to direct the shark. I'm just saying. It was devilishly hard. Two years later, he does the complete opposite with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He's nominated for director, and the movie is not up for Best Picture. So, go figure. In the 80s, he gets Best Picture and director nominations for Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. in back-to-back years. But Raiders he, was robbed. But he, <laughs> but he loses on all accounts. Sure, these movies won technical Oscars and stuff. Uh, Close Encounters won cinematography. Raiders won editing and sound and all that stuff. But still, Oscars seemed to elude Spielberg. Then 1985 came. Oh, boy. Wow. He won the Directors Guild America Award for uh, The Color Purple. He was nominated for the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, every Critics' Choice Award you could possibly imagine. The Oscar nominations came out for The Color Purple. Got 11 nominations. He got hosed. No nomination whatsoever. I believe it is the most nominated Best Picture of all time without a director nomination. That's a shame. That's a great movie. And to add insult to injury, it went home completely empty-handed. Also a shame. <laughs> Zero for 11. So poor Spielberg. He's always a bridesmaid, right? But in 93, all that changed. He had two movies. That came out in 93. This was his year. Both movies, collective total of 15 nominations, 10 wins. And it was not even possible for him to get all 15 because his two movies were nominated against each other in sound. So unless they tied with each other, you know, <laughs> something had to give. But Schindler won seven. Jurassic Park won three, losing none. So finally, Spielberg and Oscar came to terms. 
That was some fascinating uh, Academy Award history. Yes. Thank you very much. So anyway, on that note, my number 10 is Jurassic Park. Directed by the aforementioned Steven Spielberg. I see what you did there. Yeah. It was like a segue. It was a nice segue. But I wanted to get a little context this year because Spielberg and Oscar kind of, oof. Yeah, Jurassic Park, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, who's always amazing, Sir Rat, Sir Richard Attenborough, who beat him for director in 82. That's your one per, per yeah. episode. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. <laughs> um, yeah, interestingly, Richard Attenborough directed Gandhi, which beat out E.T. So, But obviously Spielberg held nothing against him because he cast him in Jurassic Park. And then he cast Ben Kingsley, who played Gandhi in, in Schindler's List. List. Right. <laughs> So anyway, Jurassic Park is, you know, kind of everyone's probably seen it. A bunch of people are on an island populated by dinosaurs who are cloned in a theme park kind of environment. They get loose. Things go awry. You know, flight for your life, survival, big monsters roaring, dinosaurs, chompy chomp, John Williams, great visual effects. And dare I say it, a rip snorting score from Mr. John Williams. <laughs> That's twice already. We got to be careful. <laughs> I do love that it's basically Jaws on land, um, and I love Jeff Goldblum's character. Faster, faster, must go faster. Uh, he obviously has all the best lines. This is just a pulse-pounding adventure movie. Spielberg knows how to craft an action sequence. The scene with the dinosaurs are tearing up those those trucks or vans or whatever they are. Oh, my God, I was on the edge of my seat. It's just a great, great action film. Um Great breakthrough use of CGI. It had only been used kind of sparingly up to this point, but when they finally did the dinosaurs in CGI, they put more of them in the movie because they looked so fantastic. So, yeah, that's my number 10, Jurassic Park. What do you got? That's fantastic. And uh, you're kind of hogging the mic today, buddy. Yeah. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kid, I kid. Um, so actually I have some, uh, some comments to make about my list actually as well. Not quite as uh, in depth with the historical knowledge. Um, this year for me was, it, it's really interesting. There's a couple of emerging trends that you're going to see on my list. Um, I think this is one of the first years where you and I tend to differ uh, about as much as we agree. Um, I think for the past couple of years, we've had a majority of the same movies on our list this year. We kind of split off in different directions. And I've noticed I have quite a few movies on my list that are actually biographical um, or even autobiographical or based on autobiographies, um, you could say. And I want loosely biographical. Right. Right. And that's what I wanted to talk about, actually. Uh, you, you know, some of the, some of these films and almost every biographical film often gets criticized for not being an exact true historical representation of the way things actually occurred. And so I just want to make the comment that, you know, Hollywood takes the liberties, guys, and they do that to make films compelling. Um, a story may be compelling in and of itself, but it doesn't mean it's going to translate visually. Um, three extra yeah, <laughs> into, a, in, into something that people are going to want to watch. And so sometimes I think that uh, those decisions that are made to make alterations to a story are made so that you can, you know, continue your character engagement or so that you have something to watch. Um, one of the movies on my list is a real good example of this. And in, in, in real life, it's about two people in prison. And in real life, they were in separate prisons. Well, it's real hard to shoot scenes, you know, where it's just letters back and forth. It makes a lot more sense cinematically to put them side by side. So keeping in mind, um, by including them here in my list, I'm, I'm not representing that they're historically accurate. I'm representing that they're really freaking good movies. 
Um, and the other thing that kind of stood out to me on my list is we have three movies featuring Denzel Washington. So if you want to talk about a rip snorting cracking good year, let's talk about Denzel because he appears on my list three times. It's always a good idea to talk about Denzel. He's a legend. It really is. I mean, he's amazing. And, and he, he was doing so much quality, quality work um, in the early nineties. But I mean, imagine, imagine the work ethic of a guy who puts out three freaking movies in one year and they're all really good. So um, after that rant, let's move on to my first biographical movie. My number 10 for 1993. It is a charming little film. It is directed by Stephen Zalian, screenplay by Stephen Zalian from the book by Fred Waitskin. Um, before we had the Queen, the Queen's Gambit, we had Searching for Bobby Fischer. Uh, it stars Joe Montaigne, Ben Kingsley, again, <laughs> Joan Allen, Lawrence Fishburne, who is amazing. Uh, it has David Paymer, William H. Macy. A great performance by a young kid named Max Pomerantz, who they actually cast because he was he knew how to play chess uh, and they needed a kid who could make it look convincing. There's a great, great <laughs> kind of uh, scene featuring Dan Hedaya as a tournament director. Um, and he, he puts all the parents in a cage, <laughs> which is maybe one of the funniest scenes of the whole movie, because the parents at this tournament can't behave. The kids are great, right? They're playing chess, but the parents start fist fighting with each other and calling names and just being those horrible kind of like over the top caricature sports parents. So they all get put in a cage and they have to have kids running back and forth telling them what's going on in the tournament. It's pretty amazing. Uh, the story is a biographical account of a seven year old chess prodigy and his journey to competitive success. Uh, he falls under the tutelage of a street player who shows him how to play speed chess and a renowned uh, teacher who shows him strategy and he does all of this with the unwavering support of his parents. The kid does a really amazing job. He is he is precious, this child, and such a good actor. Um, it, there's a lot of themes here that I really enjoyed. Um, how far do we push our kids to be something special? What kind of pressure does that put on them? And do we put pressure on them to change who they are in order to be successful? And this kid does a great job of showing everyone that you can stay true to who you are, stay true to yourself and what you know to be right and still be really good at something. Um, it's a really feel good, inspirational kind of a movie. The, the kid is, he's sweet. He stays sweet. He refuses to give into the pressure to be hateful or, you know, afraid of his enemies. He just, uh, he wants to continue to be his same sweet seven year old self. And, you know, he wants to learn from who he wants to learn from and play chess his way. And it, it's a really fun, uplifting great kind of movie and you're really rooting for him so that's my number 10 that is a good movie actually i really liked that kid too he was a uh, he was adorable uh and speaking of adorable kids in movies my number nine has a couple uh including a young gent named ross mallinger and a very young gabby hoffman who starred alongside tom hanks meg ryan rosie o'donnell bill pullman in Nora efron's sleepless in seattle this is the first of three movies on my list this year that are directed by women. Girl power. Look at you. I know, right? <laughs> uh, Sleep in Seattle is probably, in my opinion, one of the last great romantic comedies. Uh, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks could not be more charming, even though they don't share any screen time in the movie till the very, very end. And it's more about Tom Hanks's relationship with his son as they try to deal with the death of his wife and his mother. 
and you know, the kid unwittingly, or actually quite wittingly, puts him on a talk show, like a radio psychiatrist, I guess, and and he starts opening up about his wife and how much he loved her, and then he is soon the you know poster child of uh, adoration from all the women across the country, namely Meg Ryan, who falls in love with his voice when she hears it on the radio. And no, no, as a woman, let me clarify that. It's not his voice she falls in love with. It's his willingness to be open with his feelings. Take note, gentlemen. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a very charming film. Um, I, I just love the uh, the side-by-side stories between Meg Ryan and Bill Pullman and how it relates to Tom Hanks' character and, and the epic journey that the little boy takes to find his new mother. It's I could watch this movie over and over again. It's just one of the sweetest movies ever really deals a lot with loneliness and what it takes to be a parent and what it takes to be a lover. And just, it's very romantic, has a lot of homages to classic romantic movies, particularly in the fair to remember. And I forgot to mention, uh, we're doing, are we doing favorite lines? You can. Yeah. My favorite line from, uh, uh, sleepless in Seattle is when the kid gets Tom Hanks on the phone and he's sort of waiting to talk to the doctor. And he says, Talk to her dad. She's a doctor. And Tom Hanks responds, of what? Her first name could be doctor. <laughs> it cracks me up every time. I love that scene where they're, um, by the way, he, there is one other scene where he's in the same shot with Meg Ryan. It's when she goes to Seattle randomly and she's in the road. Um, That's right. But I, lo- I love that scene there where they're talking about, is it the Dirty Dozen? Yeah. <laughs> he and uh, his. Uh, uh, Victor Garber. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. That scene is not only hilarious, but it was completely ad-libbed on the spot. So obviously Tom Hanks and Victor Garber had seen that movie fairly recently. <laughs> but uh, And he also can't go wrong with a uh, brand spanking new Harry Connick Jr. song on your soundtrack either. So great standards um, throughout the whole soundtrack, really. Um, yeah. Number nine, Sleepless in Seattle. It is a good movie. It's a real good movie. Look at you with the woman director. I know, right? Uh, I'm continuing a theme here myself, actually. Not only do I have another biographical movie, but I also have another um, kind of underdog story. So the trend continues with my number nine. It was directed by David Anspaugh, written by Angelo Pizzo, and starring Sean Astin, John Favreau, in a very early role for him, Charles S. Dutton, Ned Beatty, and Lily Taylor. It is Rudy. Rudy, Rudy. Okay. And I, Enough of that. Y- y'all can laugh at me all you want. Is it cheesy? Absolutely. But I freaking love Rudy. I'm not kidding. Rudy's amazing. It is a true underdog story of an undersized, undersmart, undertalented kid who refuses to give up on his dream of playing college football at Notre Dame. Um, he doesn't have the grades. He doesn't have the athletic ability. He doesn't have the size. He has nothing. But through his drive, his hard work, and his single-minded focus, he wins over everyone around him, and he is able to achieve his dream. Let me tell you, this is like a five hanky movie, right? I mean, you're so invested in Rudy Rudiger, and he's Sean Astin. Just Sean Astin does a really great. I, I really like Sean Astin as an actor. You know, yeah. the more I think about it, like the more I, I, I talk, the more I hobbit. talk about him in movies, the more I really think that Sean Astin is is really amazing. But it's a it's a moving story. Um, you're really rooting for him. And it's a very inspirational reminder that hard work and constant improvement are as important as talent in achieving the things that we want in life. If you have talent and you have no work ethic at all, then all you have is talent. You don't really have success. So 
This is a kid who is able to make his dreams come true, and he's able to prove everybody wrong through believing in himself and believing what he's capable of. Um, I actually have a quote from Rudy as well. Charles S. Dutton, who has kind of um, tried to make him see what he's he's actually accomplished when Rudy loses faith. He tells him, in this life, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody but yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't never going to happen. And uh, he's really kind of reminding him that even though the kid has nothing going for him, he has played with the college football team at Notre Dame for two years and he's going to walk out a graduate of a prestigious university. And uh, it's actually, it, it's just a really, really inspirational movie. And I love it. Doesn't he, doesn't he only play like at a couple plays in the final game or is that a spoiler? Yeah, they put him in at the end. So all the seniors get to play at the end and uh, they throw him in and he makes a key tackle and they carry him off the field on their shoulders. Oh. And it is rousing and beautiful and everyone falls in love and magic ensues and there's a ticker tape for it. No, maybe that's a little much, but um, that's a good place to put the credits basically. <laughs> right. But it, it's really an amazing movie. And um, it's uh, you know, like I said, it, it, it's a little heavy on the cheese, but you know what? I, I think when you do a sports movie, right. And it inspires people that you can be a little cheesy and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with a little cheese every now and then it's, it's, if it's what ticks your boxes and makes you happy, then go for it. Uh, Rudy would be the cheesy nougat in your chocolate box of criteria. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of people who were having a renaissance in the early 90s, uh, besides Steven Spielberg and the aforementioned Denzel Washington, do you know who else was having a renaissance in the early 90s? Tell me. William Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks largely in part to one Mr. Kenneth Branagh. So my number eight is Much Ado About Nothing, which was adapted for the screen from the play by William Shakespeare, by Kenneth Branagh, directed by Kenneth Branagh and starring Kenneth Branagh. And Denzel and Washington. Denzel Washington. <laughs> and Emma Thompson and Keanu Reeves and Michael Keaton and Robert Sean Leonard, Kate Beckinsale in her debut, Brian Blessed. Thank God he's just exists. This is a absolutely hysterical adaptation of Shakespeare. And a lot of people think Shakespeare is so heavy handed and so dramatic and so dire and, and dour. And it really is sometimes if you're watching Hamlet, but much to do about nothing is for yeah, fellow Romeo and Juliet, for God's sake, Macbeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but much to do about nothing is just, just a gas as a, it's basically about people matchmaking and pairing up people and, you know, playing Cupid to everybody, especially Benedict and Beatrice played by Brana and Thompson. Um, you know, romantic complications ensue when a hero played by Beckinsale, her reputation is sullied by gossip. And there's a lot of, well, you said that and now I can't marry her and she's no longer noble and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But all, all's well that ends well in the end. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. So I have a quote from it. This is from Benedict. Um, yeah, he says, when I said I would die a bachelor, I did not think I should live until I was married. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Go, Brana. Um, but it has a beautiful score by Patrick Doyle, who scored most of Kenneth Branagh's Shakespeare films. Wonderful costumes shot on location in Italy. It's a gorgeous film. It's a fun film. And don't let the Shakespeare throw you off. Yeah, it takes a few minutes to acclimate to the, the dialogue, but it's a fun romp of a film. It's one of the funnest Shakespeare movies possibly ever committed to celluloid i also think it's very fun and we may hear about it on my list at a much higher number and a very rare villainous performance by keanu reeves 
who's not bad. He's not great, but he's not bad. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever heard dude in Shakespeare. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't I do that. Damn, I <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't happen. <laughs> Wrong movie. Sorry. <laughs> I am an FBI agent. Dude, okay. where's the ghost of my father? And you know what? We kid, but I love Keanu Reeves. Yeah. He is a top-notch human being. So even though I'm picking on his Point Break performance, he is amazing. And I love you, Keanu Reeves. And you're one of my favorite human beings, period. Yes, Keanu, you are. A goddess, a god among the insects. All right. So on my list, continuing with the biographical films, I told you this was a trend. You were warned. Okay. Um, Frontal advisory. Yeah. (laughs) And this one probably gets the most criticism from people about deviating from its actual historical, um, you know, factualness, if you will. Uh, veracity. Can I use that word? Yes. I'm going to switch to veracity. It sounds better. If I'm an Oompa Loompa, then you can call some factual. I can. I can. Uh, It is directed by Jim Sheridan, um, written by Terry George and, or excuse me, Terry George and Jim Sheridan from the autobiography Proved Innocent by Jerry Conlon. Excuse me. Conlon. It stars Daniel Day-Lewis. Pete Postlethwaite and the aforementioned Emma Thompson. It is in the name of the father. Uh, it's a really intense movie. It takes place during the uh, Troubles in Ireland. Uh, Jerry Conlon, who's a petty thief in the Belfast area, goes to London to kind of lay low after he runs afoul of some IRA guys and he finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time and he is falsely accused and imprisoned for a pub bombing that he did not commit. Um, unwilling to stop with the four people that they accused and put in prison, the police also bring charges against members of Jerry's family for conspiracy, including his father, Giuseppe Conlin, who was not even in England at the time. Um, the charges are a complete fabrication from start to finish, and uh, they end up in prison for several years until um, Emma Thompson's character uh, takes their takes their case on and um, brings them back to court and is able to get them released um, because it was wrong from the very get go. Yeah. It's a it's an intense movie. It's a very sad movie. Um, it highlights a lot of police corruption. It highlights how awful the situation was with the Irish, the anti-Irish sentiment. And maybe because I'm Gen X and I remember the troubles in Ireland and how awful it was and bombings and shootings yeah. and the IRA. It was it was terrible. And growing up as a as you know a young person and understanding that there was like terrorist situations happening in these supposedly civilized countries was just something that was kind of prevalent in our youth um i think this movie does a nice job of examining the father and son relationship and um, pete postlethwaite is just he's amazing he is he is quiet he is steadfast he believes wholeheartedly in his innocence and the innocence of his son and that he will get out um he has a tragic end um which kind of leads to one of the themes of the movie which is that some wrongs can never be made right um, no matter what you do, it's um, it's a hard movie, um, especially because it was based on a true story. Uh, but it's uh, I think it's an important movie, and um, that's why it's on my list. Yeah, I love Pete, Pete Postlethwaite in that movie. His face is like a landscape of conflicting emotions, and, and uh, I like how so he great. even in prison, even in prison, Giuseppe Conlin stays moral. You know, yeah. um, with all these other inmates acting like fools and 
the guy who actually did the bombings ends up in the same prison with them and they're causing all kinds of mayhem and he never succumbs to it. He always stays true to who he was. He stays the moral compass of the movie. Um, and he, he's truly amazing. Pete Postlethwaite's your guy for that kind of thing. So, uh, my number seven is another uh, film directed by a woman. It's my second on my list. It is a beautiful film. And thank goodness for the Criterion Collection. They just did a beautiful Blu-ray of it this week. Talking about The Piano, directed by Jane Campion, starring Holly Hunter, Anna Paquin, Sam Neill, Harvey Keitel. This is a very interesting film. It's a, it's a beautifully filmed movie about... Uh, a woman who chooses to be mute and her daughter who travels to New Zealand with her piano to live in an arranged marriage with Sam Neill. But, you know, romantic complications ensue when she hooks up with Harvey Keitel. There's betrayals and, and having to deal with the fact that she's a mute and misunderstandings and, and the like. I don't want to go too much into the plot because there's some interesting twists and turns in there. There's also some unexpected violence in this movie. But Holly Hunter, dear God, she has to go through all these emotions, all this entire wonderful character arc without saying a word. She narrates in the beginning of the film, I believe at the end, um, but it's supposed to be like her inner, her inner monologue, not her actual voice. And wow, talk about hmm, what a performance. Anna Paquin, who won the Academy Award at like the age of 10 for supporting actress, is her daughter. She's fantastic. Interesting note of trivia. This movie was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Seven of those nominations were for women. The only standout was the cinematographer. He was the only male nominated, and he did a fantastic job. Should have been a ninth nomination, though, because the score of this movie is absolutely gorgeous. The Piano is a gorgeous movie. Very earthy. It makes you feel like you're in New Zealand. Like, you could feel the mist of the water. You could feel the, the caked dirt on your feet. And it's just a, it's a, it's a beautiful movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. The piano, apparently proving that girls rule, boys drool. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I went like, I went way back to like fifth grade for that one. School year taunt. If I ever, <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> hey, I have a movie coming up and guess what? not a biography oh my goodness i know i know but guess what it has denzel washington in it <laughs> so, so it's either a biography or it has, or denzel, it has denzel washington or right both. so yeah good times um all right moving on to number seven on my list so this is um another interesting thing that happened in 1993 a lot of interesting things apparently happened cinematically in 93 is uh in 1993 two john grisham novels made it to the screen one of them starring Holly Hunter. Yeah, right. One of them starring Holly Hunter and one of them starring Denzel Washington. Uh, we had um, The Firm, which I think is probably the most popular. And then we have the one I have chosen, which is actually uh, The Pelican Brief. It was directed by Alan J. Pacula, written by Alan J. Pacula from the novel by John Grisham. I did not know he directed that. He did. Wow, he's a good director. It stars Julia Roberts, uh, Denzel Washington, shocking, uh, Sam Shepard, John Hurd, Stanley Tucci, Tony Goldwyn. It has a the lot. Of, yeah, Stanley Tucci is super creepy, too. Um, and it also stars New Orleans, if I'm being honest, because the scenery is a huge part of the movie. Um, it tells the tale of a bright Tulane legal student named Darby Shaw, who is having an affair with her professor. And she writes a compelling brief detailing who is probably 
responsible for the recent murders of two Supreme Court justices. She shows the brief to her professor who inadvertently hands it to his friend in the FBI, thinking it might be something interesting. The brief ends up in the wrong hands of some very powerful people who would basically do anything to cover it up, including, you know, killing everybody who knows anything about it. So um, one of those briefs, right? One of those briefs. And uh, Darby ends up on the run. Um, She ends up enlisting the help of a uh, reporter named Greg Grantham, played brilliantly by Denzel Washington. Can we say Uh, his name one more time? We Denzel Denzel Washington. Washington. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they go on kind of a um, kind of a mission together to put together the evidence to support the contents of the brief, so that he can write the story. But he obviously as a reporter has a responsibility of journalism to have like corroborated evidence and or sources, et cetera. So I, I, the thing that like the firm is a good movie. I'm not going to lie. The firm's a real good movie and it has Richard Harris. So, I mean, right there alone. It's amazing. I like the Pelican and brief. Harris. Yeah. That guy. Okay. So that's two for me. That yeah. means you don't get one. I get two errors today. Yeah. So you get none. Sorry. Ed Harris, sorry, I'm sorry, Ed Harris. I really love you, especially in Apollo 13. You're amazing, but I digress. Um, the reason I think that I prefer the Pelican Brief to the firm is because, I mean, it gets right into it. The <laughs> it after she writes the brief at the beginning of the movie, she is in danger nonstop for the whole movie. Like you never feel like she's safe ever, and so the tension kind of exists throughout the entire movie, and and. Alan J. Pacula did a great job, uh, to be honest, in keeping that tension alive through the entire movie. I mean, to keep that, you know, <laughs> to keep tension for, you know, a couple hours is <laughs> it's kind of a, a masterwork, really, in directing. Um, he did a great job. I love the partnership that she has with Bray Grantham. I love how they work together. Um, it has uh, John Lithgow in it as his editor. He's also really amazing. Has a fantastically talented cast. I don't know who the guy is who plays the president. I think it's uh, Robert Culp, but he plays like an absolute bumbling doofus, and it is great. <laughs> he does a fantastic job, but it uh, it kind of shows a lot about the shadiness of power in Washington. Um, it shows a lot about the cover-ups, you know, that ensue, and how um, you know your own government can come after you if you know stuff you're not supposed to know. So it's a uh, it's scary in a lot of ways. Uh, it's entertaining. I think um, I think it does get kind of overshadowed a little bit uh, in the Grisham canon because it came out with its big brother, the firm, in the same year. But for me, I think the Pelican Brief is a uh, riveting watch. Well done. I do love a good Richard Ed Harris movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. Gosh, like I was just rambling and it wasn't on my card. I have cards, guys. So like if it's not on my card, forget about it. Like I, I'm lucky if I remember it. All right, we'll let it slide because it was just so darn entertaining. So uh, what do you want written on your tombstone? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was a cheesy segue. Did you just do a pizza slogan for one of the greatest <laughs> Westerns of all time? Yeah, my number six is Tombstone, um, directed by George P. Cosmatos. I hope I said that name correctly, starring Val Kilmer. And really, that's all you need to know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Also, has Kurt Russell, Michael Bean, Sam Elliott's. Huge, huge cast. I'm not even going to name everybody. It's Terry O'Quinn, Charlton Heston, Billy Zane. Well, who am I forgetting? Powers Booth. Powers Booth. Goodness gracious. Tells the story of Wyatt Earp, his brothers, and how they tried to bring uh, justice to the lawless town of Tombstone, Arizona, with the assistance of the 
tuberculosis-ridden Doc Holliday, who was just a human sin, really. He just he gambled, he drank, he smoked, smoked he <laughs> womanized, he just everything he possibly could do. But uh, this movie is entertaining of a Western as it is. It fully belongs to Val Kilmer. He steals every scene he's in. He has some of the best lines. I'm your Huckleberry. Um, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. It has a rip-snorting score from Bruce Broughton, or as I like to call it, epic music to walk like a badass to. Because the end credits is just them walking with that music. Boom, boom, boom. I'm not going to do any more because we might get copyright. <laughs> we might get blocked. I can't do it because it's not on my card. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's an endlessly quotable movie. Um, I love the Robert Mitchum narration in the beginning. It also was another one of those movies that was in that sort of 90s regeneration of Westerns after Unforgiven, Dances with Wolves, and so many others. The Quick and the Dead soon followed this. There's my second one. Um, Yeah, this is is just a great, great film. I love the friendship, the camaraderie. And as I said, it has so many quotable lines. I could do any line from Val Kilmer, but I chose Kurt Russell's line of when he's uh, confronting the idiot Ike Clanton, and he says, oh, your boys may get me in a rush, but not before I turn your head into a canoe. (laughs) It's a fantastic line. If I had to nitpick one thing on Tombstone, I don't feel like the women in this movie have a lot to do other than to be the women. If I'm being honest, especially Dana Delaney. Some of her dialogue is atrocious. It's not her fault. They just didn't write the women very well in this movie, I feel. And But other than that, it's a fantastic movie. You are all girl power today. I am girl power. Go women. That's right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to um, bring some more depression to um, these proceedings. Uh, and I'm ba- I, I, yeah, no, I, I got some really dark stuff coming up here, actually. And I'm back to another biographical movie. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it, I'm really torn on this film. It, it's lower on my list than it probably should be. But it's lower on my list because really freaking hard to watch um but it's a really really important movie um and you kind of alluded to it at the beginning it was written by steve zaley and there he is again um from the book by thomas keneally and directed by your boy steven spielberg winner of seven academy awards including best picture of the year starring liam neeson ray fines and the incomparable ben kingsley of course i'm talking about schindler's list uh, Schindler's List is the true story of Oscar Schindler, who is a not-so-nice, actually, German businessman. Uh, but his heart changes amid the brutalities of the Holocaust, and he uses his factory as a refuge for about 1,100 Jews who he saves from Auschwitz. Um, all right, so let, let's talk about what's amazing. about the, the, the movie's amazing. It really is. It's a really, really important film. Um, we about- don't use that term lightly. Yeah, about the uh, dehumanization of an entire group of people and the horrible freaking things that human beings are capable of doing to each other. And Spielberg pulls no punches. It is brutal. It is unflinching. It is. I'm grateful that he shot it in black and white, because honestly, if he had put some of the horror in color, uh, it probably would have been even harder to watch. Um, And it's it's really hard because it's true. You know, it's based on true events. It is incredibly emotional. It breaks my heart, which is why I struggle to rewatch it, uh, which is also a hallmark of excellent filmmaking. 
um, Ray Fiennes, <laughs> bless his heart. He, <laughs> you know, he's not a bad guy, but in this movie, he is a monster, and he he put his heart and soul into portraying the true, true evil that actually exists in this world. And I mean, like, yeah, you got to love him for for wanting to do it right, but you hate him so much. <laughs> um, it's I know you're going to talk about it a lot more because I think it's probably higher on your list. Um, and, and again, it's um, it's it's hard to say it's beautiful because the subject matter is so dark. Um, but I, I'll say again that it's 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 really important. And I know it was important to a lot of people. It was important to a lot of people to see it done correctly, um, to see it done by a director who is Jewish. I, I know this from a friend who who said she saw it with her family and with other families who, um, although they were obviously as horrified as I were, as I was, they were, um, appreciative of the way he treated the material. And, um, it's, a it's truly a movie masterpiece. It probably deserves to be a lot higher. Um, but again, I, I think it's lower on my list cause I haven't watched it a lot of times, you know, to, to really, good yeah, to really, you know, to really feel a lot, you know, besides just the sadness of it, um, which is why I think it's lower, but it's a, it's really a spectacular, spectacular entry and um, definitely the jewel in Spielberg's crown. Yeah, it's uh, oof. <laughs> just oof. It's a hard, it's a hard watch and it is a little later on my list and I'll go more into it in a bit. So on a lighter note, my number five is a family friendly movie. It is the third and final movie on my list directed by a woman. And, uh, you know, in the 90s, I'm not going to lie. It seemed like a lot of family-friendly movies, including Disney, I got to include Disney in this, were designed specifically for the purpose of selling Happy Meals or action figures. <laughs> <laughs> and this one wasn't, bless its heart, and it's based on a literary classic. I'm talking about The Secret Garden, directed by Agnieszka Holland, starring uh, a trio of wonderful child performances, Kate Maberly, Hayden Prowse, and Andrew Knott. Also with Dame Maggie Smith, She Can Do No Wrong. This may actually be my favorite adaptation of a children's book into a movie, possibly ever. They hit the book. They're so loyal to the book. The only thing they really changed from the book was the manner in which Mary's parents die, which in all honesty, it's not really that important. They die on page one, so it's not even that important. Um, it's very rare, I think, to have three award-worthy performances from children in the same film, and they all hit it out of the park, especially Maberly. Mary Lennox is just a little tyrant in the beginning of the film, but she mellows out as she discovers her uh, bedridden cousin who's uh, secretly being hidden in the vast estate that she lives in and she helps nurse him back to health with the help of the aforementioned secret garden it's a beautiful film a haunting score the score is just terrific by polish composer Zbigniew Preisner who did the score in between assignments on the three colors trilogy and it's gorgeous Maggie Smith but she's Maggie Smith I mean what else do I need to say <laughs> she just shows up you point the camera at her award-winning performance that's all you gotta do um, That's Dame Maggie Smith. Dame to Maggie you. <laughs> Smith. Uh, the nature cinematography is great. They use some, uh, uh, we call it uh, time lapse photography for the garden growing. It's beautiful. It's. Um, I understand they actually shot it backwards. They did all the 
the uh, alive garden stuff first and then shot the dead garden stuff last because of the schedule of the uh, filming of the film. So uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a wonderful film to enjoy with the whole family. There's nothing in it that's offensive or controversial. It's just a beautiful, beautiful family-friendly movie, and it, there's just not enough of those anymore, I don't think. It's a great literary adaptation. So that's my number five, The Secret Garden. All right. Good pick. Here's me moving on to more sadness, just so you know. Because I'm on a roll this year. More sadness. I'm on a roll this year. Boy, they had some really, really rough movies this year. But they're all amazing, and so that's why they're here. Um, Yeah, so my number five um, is directed by Jonathan Demme, written by Ron Nicewainer. And guess who it stars? Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, Jason Robards, Antonio Banderas, uh, Mary Steenburgen. I am, of course, talking about Philadelphia. the emotional powerhouse that is Philadelphia. Um, this took place during the AIDS epidemic, uh, when panic and misinformation were rampant. Uh, and it chronicles the story of a lawyer named Andrew Beckett, who is otherwise amazing. Uh, and he is let go from his firm after they sus- one of the partners sees a lesion on his forehead, suspects him of having AIDS. And so he brings a wrongful termination suit against his former employer. It is, uh, and again, I think in, in a lot of ways, because it's the same thing for me as in the name of the father, right? So I remember being a young person when the AIDS epidemic broke out and people were afraid. People were afraid that someone was going to spit on them and they were going to get AIDS. And there was a lot of ignorance and there was a lot of prejudice, <laughs> so much prejudice. And just, it's, it was awful. I mean, it was a terrible time. You know, in human history, there's so many bad times. We're so bad to each other sometimes, right? Um, I mean, I think the misinformation is super, super well portrayed in the scene there where um, Andrew Beckett first goes to retain Denzel Washington as his lawyer. And he sets his hat on the desk and Denzel Washington can't stop looking at the hat like his baseball cap is going to transmit the AIDS onto his desk and then he's going to touch it. And, you know, and but that's how it was. That's how it was back then. And so I think the truthfulness of this movie um is a huge reason why it's it's so important um there's a lot of slurs against homosexuals which are really hard to hear um especially now when we've made so much progress but i mean it is a true portrayal of the fear that people had it's a very moving story it's um and and you really are rooting for andrew beckett he shines as a real hero actually putting himself and his family's reputation out there during this time to do the right thing, to make sure that the right thing gets done for people with this terrible disease so that no one else has to suffer uh, what he suffers and the love and support from his family and his partner. It's beautiful to watch. Tom Hanks gives, you know, he gets a lot of credit for Forrest Gump, but I'm going to say that this is some of his best work. I mean, he gives a tour de force in this movie. He is spectacular. I think of his two Oscar wins, Philadelphia is the better one. I think so too. Um, there's a scene there in the library where the guy says, would you feel more comfortable uh, in a research room? And he says, no, would you feel more comfortable? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, he puts it right back at him and he just, he just displays a, an amount of strength that um, is inspiring. It's an inspiring movie, but it's a really, really sad movie as well. Uh, I actually picked a quote from Philadelphia to share. 
the judge uh, in the proceedings talking to Denzel Washington's character says, in this courtroom, Mr. Miller, justice is blind to matters of race, creed, color, religion, and sexual orientation. And uh, Denzel says right back, with all due respect, Your Honor, we don't live in this courtroom, do we? And I think that's kind of one of the important themes of this movie. I did read that uh, they specifically chose Bruce Springsteen to do the song on the soundtrack because they thought that Bruce would bring in an audience, a different kind of um, demographic who they wanted to bring awareness to the AIDS uh, epidemic with and to the, you know, what a terrible disease it was and to rally some support around uh, people with AIDS. And and it did a great job, actually. The song did a great I'm not a huge Sp uh, Springsteen fan myself, but I think the song was important and it did good things. So I'm not that big of a fan of Springsteen myself, but it's one of the three or four of his that I actually do like. And uh, the boss brought it. Let's let's let's. Give credit where it's due. The boss brought it that day. Uh, I did forget to mention my favorite line from The Secret Garden. So before I continue, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there right now, if you don't mind. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Colin is having a tantrum and he's screaming and yelling, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And Mary responds, if everyone thought that about me, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> it's just very well. funny. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like she has a choice in the matter, right? It's just very funny. Uh, sorry, I forgot to mention that. So uh, my number four is based on a popular television series from the 1960s. Uh, and let's face it, most of the time when they adapt TV series into movies, kind of doesn't work. Um, there's been a few exceptions. The Adams Family is an exception. Star Trek is obviously an exception. But uh, The Fugitive was one. It's my number four, starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, in his Oscar-winning role, directed by Andrew Davis. Uh, Noted uh, Dr. Richard Kimball is accused of murdering his wife and sentenced to prison, but he escapes when he's being transported to prison when a uh, spectacular train crash occurs and he is on the run and Tommy Lee Jones's deputy is after him to bring him to justice. And what I really love about this movie is how it has kind of two plots going simultaneously. Um, they're trying to solve basically two cases. They're trying to find out where Richard Kimball is, and Richard Kimball's trying to figure out who killed his wife. So, and you're never confused by it. It never overwhelms you. It never dumps too much information on you all at once. Um, both characters are compelling. They don't have a lot of screen time together, but when they do, it is fraught with tension. Especially the scene in the uh, the tunnels there, the <laughs> the sewers. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And uh, Harrison Ford leaps off that dam, and uh, you did a flipping Peter Pan right here. Um, it is a pulse pounding action movie. Very well written. Very well acted. Uh, again, particularly by the two leads, and uh, it's just a great score from James Newton Howard. He brings the, uh, the pulse-pounding action music, great editing. Um, I have my favorite line. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but it's basically Tommy Lee Jones' speech about, I want a block of every roadhouse, hen house, outhouse, and farmhouse within the 50-mile radius. And so, um, yeah, it, it manages to encapsulate in uh, two hours what the TV series did in like six seasons, I think. So, uh, But a criminal underuse of Seal Award, though, She's gorgeous, honestly. The, the movie could have had some more seal of word in it, if I'm being honest. You should watch House. She's in House. Yes, she is. And the scene where she's going up the stairs in the uh, slinky nightgown, 
Ooh, yes, more please. Okay, you're cut off. Cut. We're cutting them off. This is more a, girl power. This is a family friendly program. Family friendly program. Okay. Are we done? Sorry. Are you done with the Denzel? <laughs> no, I'm not actually. Are you done? The, the Denzel adoration. I'm not. Are you I'm finished? Done. I'm done with okay. the just for now. Actually, this is my last Denzel movie. Is it? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, Denzel. You're fantastic. You're on my list three times, but you don't rise above number four this year. But that's okay because you've done a lot of fantastic stuff, and I expect to see you number one in the future. Um, my number four, you already talked about it. I'm going to talk about it more because that's what we do on the show. Uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh, written by Kenneth Branagh, starring Kenneth Branagh <laughs> from the play by William Shakespeare. It is much ado about nothing. We are making a lot of ado about much ado. Right, right. Starring Emma Thompson, Denzel Washington in his third and final role on my list. As you said, Keanu Reeves, Robert Sean Leonard, Kate Beckinsale, Michael Keaton. Uh, to rehash a young couple set to be wed. Speaking of in-house, Robert Sean Leonard, also in-house. There he is fantastic. If you guys haven't watched House, by the way, a total side rant. If you haven't watched House, it's freaking hilarious. Please do. Um, where was I? A young couple said to be wed conspire with their friends to set a romantic trap for their bickering buddies, Beatrice and Benedict. You like the alliteration there? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the evil Don John, played brilliantly by Keanu Reeves, conspires to frame the young bride and break up the wedding. So I said brilliantly, and I'm going to tell you, Keanu Reeves does a really good job in this movie. As much grief as he gets for some of his early 90s role, he plays Shakespeare like a champ. He's very snarly. His Don John is, I I really like it. Um, And, you know, he he rarely plays the villain. So for him to play the villain and do a really nasty job at it is kind of fantastic, actually. Um, The beautiful countryside, you already mentioned, it's filmed in Tuscany. It's gorgeous. It's a witty movie. Everyone has fun. Denzel's having a blast. The banter between the two leads is fantastic. I kind of feel like Benedict and Beatrice were Elizabeth and Darcy before there was Elizabeth and Darcy. Um, it's that kind of like. Quite possibly true. Yeah, it's just kind of, you know, <laughs> they're witty, they're snarly, you know, they snark at each other. and uh, Because they actually secretly love each other. But it under, <laughs> yeah, but it underlies, you know, the fact that they're secretly attracted to each other. And it's kind of cool. The thing I like about this movie is. Um, because it may, it makes Shakespeare really accessible to people. I think Shakespeare can be really challenging to read for a lot of people. I think that some of the more um, tense or dramatic uh, Shakespearean plays can be really kind of tough. Uh, but this one's really accessible. You know, it's really fun. It's, um, you know, the, the wit is there. The wit is obvious. And the language is not so, so overwhelming that, that everybody can't enjoy you it. You can follow along very easily. So... I mean, even if you typically are afraid to try Shakespeare, give Much Ado About Nothing a chance um, because it's a it's a very, very accessible version of The Bard. The Bard. Uh, and speaking of very accessible, I actually don't really have much of a segue. So I was trying for accessible and it, it didn't work. <laughs> Sorry mm-hmm. about that, folks. Uh, animation. One of my favorite genres. Oh, yeah, that segue was bad. Yeah, it was bad. (laughs) Let's try that again. (laughs) Let's do the Etch-A-Sketch segue. Uh, I love animation, and there was a lot of good animation in the 90s. Uh, Stop motion, kind of rare in the 90s, but uh, when when they did it, it usually worked. So I'm talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas is my number three, one of the most beloved animated movies possibly of all time, Jack Skellington. Uh, The king of Halloween finds himself 
accidentally in Christmas land and he decides to become obsessed with Christmas and tries to bring Christmas to Halloween town with comical and disastrous results. Needless to say, the animation in this movie is spectacular. Not directed by Tim Burton, though. A lot of people think it's him. He created the story. He created the characters. It's directed by Henry Selleck, actually. So a little bit of trivia there. That's on my card. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I absolutely adore this movie. Um, this movie, let's face it, has single-handedly kept Hot Topic in business for 20 years plus. Um, you, got, you know, Beetlejuice has to. Come on, credit where it's due. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. That's Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> Studio Ghibli movies. Um, yeah, the animation, stop motion animation is, is fantastic. There's not a frame wasted. All the characters are memorable, especially Oogie Boogie and his three little minions, uh, Lock, Shock, and Barrel. Um, can we talk about the music, though? All, can you please talk about the music? The music in this movie. Every single song is a banger. Any one of them could have been nominated for an Oscar, but none of them were, nor was the score. The Oscar dropped the ball on this score completely. Danny Elfman probably had like an Oliver moment when the nominations were announced. Like, please, can I have some more? No, Danny Elfman, you can't. I'm sorry, but you didn't. Can you imagine? I, I imagine all the Academy members like getting together and being like, isn't that the dude from Oingo Boingo? <laughs> Just because he's in a weird named band doesn't mean he's not talented. <laughs> Oingo Boingo rocks. And it does. They rock. And Danny Elfman is one of the best composers of films of the 90s and so forth and so on. His work with Tim Burton is always fantastic. Come on. He should have been nominated for I at least one of the you. one of the songs. <laughs> at least one of the songs. Should have, this is Halloween should have been the one, in my opinion. But discuss amongst yourselves but anyway um yeah for beautiful animation you can't get any you know you can hardly do worse than the nightmare before christmas yeah i love that movie actually i think it's i think i have it too i might have alluded to that by saying it was on my card uh and this i think as we get towards the top of the list this i think is where some of the overlap is going to happen so um yeah because i'm pretty sure that my next three movies have all already been talked about uh, I am starting off with the one you just talked about before that, which is The Fugitive, directed by Andrew Davis, Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, Celia Ward, and Joe Pantoliano. Don't forget Joe. Joy Pants. Don't forget Joe. Joe's amazing. Um, like you said, it's about a respected Chicago doctor convicted for killing his wife. But you left out the fact that he claims that a one-armed man committed the crime. Well, I didn't want to give too much away. Oh, come on. <laughs> He's searching for a one-armed man. Um so he goes off on the run trying to prove his innocence, dodging the dogged pursuit of Deputy Marshal Sam Gerard. Sam Gerard, played to brilliant effect by Tommy Lee Jones. And I love Tommy Lee Jones because he's super like deadpan, you know? <laughs> he's real effective, he's real deadpan. He gives zero craps about whoever else thinks they have a toehold in this investigation because it is all his and he's gonna take it. Um I like that you're rooting for Kimball the whole time, right? You're rooting for the guy convicted of murder, uh, which is, you know, it's not normal, but he's he's such a likable guy. You kind of know in, in your heart that he didn't do it and that his one-armed man theory holds water. He's basically trying to solve the mystery while Sam Gerard is trying to find him. And it's a cat and mouse game within a cat and mouse game, if you can think about it in that way. Um, That's fair to say. Yeah, it's a really enjoyable thriller. You're kind of on the edge of your seat the whole time um there's a lot of really good moments too because he's a doctor the scene there where he kind of saves the kid's life in the hospital yeah. is um you know it's real touching and it kind of gives you 
an idea of, of of why he's a good person who's who's worth he's he's worth fighting for his life, right? Good cameo from Julianne Moore in that scene too. Great cameo from Julianne Moore. Um, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I think um, solid performances from both male leads. Uh, and you know, I watched it the other day to prepare for the podcast. I'm gonna tell you, it's aged really well. That's another great thing about this movie. Like, it could it could have been made last year. You know, I mean, yeah. aside from probably advances in technology, the um, it's uh, it, the story has really held up. The movie has really held up. It's still as engaging today as it was in 1993. Um, and uh, it's the reason it's so high on my list is because it's a good rewatch. It's one of those movies you can see time and time and time again, and still love it and enjoy it every single time. So. Um, I gave The Fugitive number three, and you should be delighted. I'm finally moving into happier territory. Yes, and surprisingly, Denzel Washington is not in it, as far Although, as I know. I feel like it might have been better if he was. You know, maybe it could have been that much better. Maybe. There's another thing about The Fugitive, too, that I always kind of like. I think it's fair to say it's a slight criticism of, like, big pharma in medicine slight <laughs> slight it, there's there's a bit where uh it, it kind of reminds me of that famous chris rock stand-up routine where he's like there ain't no money in the cure the money's in the medicine yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah might have something to say on a political uh social level there too so like i said the movie holds up today <laughs> yeah very true so uh as my sister likes to tease me, I do like fancy movies and those foreign films as well. I only have one on my list this year. It's my number two. It is the first installment of what I think is probably one of the best trilogies of all time. Not a bad movie in the entire trilogy. It is Christoph Kozlowski's Three Colors trilogy. And in 1993, he dropped the first installment, Blue, starring Juliette Binoche in Another should have been nominated performance. Oscar really dropped the ball. There, to be fair, there was an embarrassment of riches this year. So, that's true. Yeah. So I guess something had to give, but uh, Juliette Binoche should have been in the conversation at least. She plays a woman who loses her husband and her uh, six year old daughter in a car accident. And then she does a deep dive into grief. And she just wants to be left alone. And she wants. Uh, to be liberated from her past. All three movies in the Three Colors trilogy are based on the three words that are the mottos of the French flag, liberty, equality, and fraternity, but not politically so much. She wants to be liberated from her previous life. Now, her husband, who died, was a famous composer, and he was contracted to write a big symphony for the unification of Europe, but they hint that she may have written it herself. And that is how she sort of, throughout the course of the movie, comes back into her life. The music always haunts her. It brings her back into the past from the present where she's living in isolation. And she learns to connect with humanity again and connect with reality and slowly begins to finish the piece of music that her husband allegedly wrote. <laughs> and it is gorgeous. The music is a character in the film. And it's, again, beautifully done by is a big Mia Freisner. Juliette Binoche threw herself into this performance. It is amazing. It is my favorite performance in the trilogy, although it's not my favorite film of the trilogy. There's a scene in the beginning of the movie where she is grief-stricken walking down a, uh, a brick wall, and she sticks her hand out and rubs it against the brick wall to feel something other than grief. She wants to feel pain. 
Juliette Binoche did this for real. She scraped her hand up for real. And you could see blood and scabs on her hand for the rest of the movie. I don't know how I feel about that, Juliette. <laughs> but good throwing yourself into the role, I guess. But uh, sure, why not? Um, I can go on this movie forever. I'm not going not gonna to go into it too much. But if you haven't seen it, and if you're not adverse to watching some foreign films, Three Colors of Blue is a perfect place to start. It's an easy watch despite being a sad movie. Julia Binoche, her face, just she can do more with a raised eyebrow than most actresses can do with 20 pages of dialogue. She's amazing. I think you might have said Juliette Binoche more times than we said Denzel Washington. Yeah, but she's Juliette Binoche. I know, I know. One more time. You said it one more time. Juliette hey, Binoche. Um, actually, the, the story you just told about the brick wall, uh, I, I forgot to mention when I was talking about The Fugitive, but it made me think about it. Uh, Harrison Ford actually hurt. He, he tore some ligaments in his legs doing some of the scenes there where he's trying to escape from the crashed um, prison transport. I didn't know that. And Harrison Ford refused treatment for his injuries throughout filming because he thought it would be more authentic if his character continued to walk with that same limp having <laughs> endured, having gotten those injuries from from what occurred. That's what I read. So, so apparently Harrison Ford and Julie Binoche went to the uh, school of acting through the pain. <laughs> yes, they, yeah, they went to the Daniel Day-Lewis school of throw yourself into your role. All right, so let's move on to my number two. You just talked about it. Uh, I did have that. I wrote down, directed by Harry Selleck, but it is written by Tim Burton. Henry Selleck. Excuse me, Henry Selleck. Oh my God, that's three, three. for me. I'm, three strikes, you're hey, out. Hey, hey, good things come in threes, right? Rule of three. Henry Selleck. What it really is is that my penmanship is atrocious and I can't read my own writing. Yeah, look at this. I look like a wooden Klingon. Yeah, so it's directed by Henry Selleck. Uh, not any relation to Tom. It's actually spelled differently. Uh, written by Tim Burton, Michael McDonnell, and Caroline Thompson, starring Danny Elfman, Chris Sarandon, who, um, Prince Humperdinck. Prince Humperdinck. Prince Humperdinck. I don't know if you guys realize that. Uh, the incomparable Catherine O'Hara. I can't believe you didn't mention Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, she is. That's bad on me. I love Catherine O'Hara. You know, she's Moira shit. And, and that is not a swear, guys. That's her name in the, in the show. I wasn't swearing. Um. And she plays uh, the ever faithful Sally character in this movie. And I love Sally. She's a, the creation of the uh, mad scientist in town. And she keeps uh, trying to kill him with deadly nightshade and unsewing her own limbs to escape from the tower. And she's, she's amazing. And she goes out of her way to help Jack uh, with the mess that he's gotten himself into. It also stars Ken Page as Mr. Oogie Boogie, um, <laughs> who is his song is just amazing um i personally love this music i agree with you i think the academy just i mean they tanked on this <laughs> situation like how are none of these songs nominated right none um, this is disney for heaven's sake right even though it's tim burton so um you kind of went through the premise but um jack is tired of the monotony of putting on halloween every year he's chasing his adorable ghost dog zero into the what i love zero and zero he, is the bomb and he comes across the trees bearing the um symbols of the other holidays and he kind of like goes to investigate and he finds himself in love with christmas and he wants to bring uh christmas town to his own world with as you said disastrous results I, it is a visual masterpiece it has the look and feel of a tim burton movie um, we and then so. yeah, the characters that only live in Tim Burton's head, 
maybe Neil Gaiman's too, but you know, those guys are special <laughs> in this way. Uh, I love how the, how the different holidays are animated. They each have their own unique look and feel, and they did a really, really great job making each holiday look like the holiday feels. It has Tim Burton's signature quirkiness with a ton of heart. You know, our hero, Jack, just, he wants to bring joy to his own world instead of frights. You know, he's, uh, he's gone through so many Halloweens and he's just down on the scares and the, you know, frightening things. And he's, what, it's his job now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nothing <laughs> he loves. Right. And he just wants to bring a little bit of joy, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the Christmas magic to Halloween town. And he's just not quite sure how to spark it, but it's, um, you know, his heart is there. His heart is in the right place. His intentions are pure and beautiful. And, um, it's just a really, really charming movie. And I, I, I'm glad it's beloved by Hot Topic <laughs> and by everyone who shops there because I they, shop at Hot Topic. That they, was not a diss. Because it keeps the magic of Nightmare Before Christmas alive. Um, I probably watched it twice this year already. Um, it's, it is a favorite. It is number two. Well, alrighty then. It's hard to argue with the Nightmare Before Christmas. It is a beloved film. And speaking of nightmares, uh, we're at my number one, and it can only be described as a nightmare. It's a fantastic film. You already talked about the sheer compellingness and the importance of the movie. I started my list with Spielberg. I'm going to end my list with Spielberg. Uh, starring Liam Neeson, Ray Fiennes, Ben Kingsley. My number one could only be Schindler's List. Um, I'm not going to go too much into the plot because you already sort of delved into it, but... Uh, Oscar Schindler is not the nicest guy in the beginning of this movie. He is a card-carrying member of the Nazi party, but as he sees the atrocities of the Holocaust, he slowly converts and realizes that the Nazis are horrible, horrible people, and he throws money, influence, and power, and bribes to get 1,100 Jews away from places like Dachau, from Auschwitz, and the horrors of the Holocaust. And Spielberg just blew me away with his direction of this film. 40% of it is shot with handheld cameras. It isn't black and white, like you said, to give it that documentary feel. It does look like a documentary, and it is compelling to watch. The violence in this movie is stomach-churning, but it is important to realize that that's, that's uh, just how it was. You know, it was, it's just, it's a document of a brutal time in human history. It is appalling what happened to the Jewish people. And I'm glad it was made by Mr. Spielberg, who to this day refuses to accept any money for this film, um, which I love that about him. Um, there's a line in the movie that chills me every single time where Liam Neeson is talking to a particular nasty Nazi, and the Nazi says, the Jews have no future. And this is not just good old-fashioned Jew-hating. This is policy. And every time that guy says that line, it sends a chill down my spine because it's, it's, they're doing it like it's their job now. So it's, it's a hard, hard movie to watch, but I recommend it to anyone and everyone, really. I think this is a movie that everyone should see because at least once because it is a document of a horrible, horrible time. And I'm getting choked up just talking about it. Actually. Yeah, I was, I was too. Actually, it's really hard, and it's it's a cautionary tale. Yeah. in a lot of ways. But I do have a line from it, though. I wasn't going to pick a line from this movie because I would feel like that would cheapen it a little bit. But if I had to pick one, it's Ben Kingsley's poignant "Whoever saves one life saves the world entire," which is actually from the Talmud, 
hope I said that right. Um, and I got to give a mad props to Liam Neeson. His transformation in this movie from callow, self-absorbed businessman to, you know, a man who would give a pin off of his lapel to save one more life by the end of the film. When he has that breakdown at the end, oh my God, I just lose it. He's like, I could have got five more for this car. I've got to got two more for this pin. Ugh. Anyway, Schindler's List. I know <laughs> it's not a happy one to end my list on, but oh. it's it's one of the... Uh, not everything has to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw an interview with Spielberg once, and um, uh, I don't remember if uh, the journalist asked him this question, but he said... It's not important that we understand why Schindler did this. It's important that he did. And I feel that's actually fairly accurate for Mr. Spielberg. Uh, tell the people what he does with the proceeds. Oh, yeah. Um, like I said, Spielberg makes absolutely zero money for this movie. He donates any money he's contractually obligated to make for the film to the Shoah Foundation, which documents uh, actual Jews uh, and their tales of survival for future generations to see what they went through during the Holocaust, during the Shoah. And uh, if you ever have the chance to meet Mr. Spielberg, he will not autograph any promotional material for the film itself. If you, if you shove a poster of E.T. in his face, he'll be happy to sign it for you. Jaws, he'll be happy to sign. Schindler's List, out of luck. So I love that about him, too. Yeah, he didn't make the movie for that reason. See, I'm getting choked up just hearing you talk about it again because it's just... You guys, <laughs> it's a very emotional movie. Um, it's very emotional. So I'm going to, I feel, I should have gone first because now my number one sounds just silly. But um, Your number one is perfectly fine. <laughs> it is. Uh, you already talked about my number one. I just liked it better than you. It was directed by George P. Cosmatos and Kevin Jarre, written by Kevin Jarre, starring Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Gone Too Soon, Rest in Peace, um, Powers Booth, Dana Delaney, Michael Bean is a twisted, weird little. I mean, Mo in this movie, Johnny Ringo. Uh, he does a great job. I mean, Jason Priestley. Come on, everybody's in this movie. Um, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. My number one movie. I, I picked Tombstone. Billy my, Bob Thornton. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like I'm playing cards with my sister's kids. I okay. I just keep spitting out movie lines from Tombstone. That's one of the reasons it's my top movie. Um, I just, I just love this movie. Okay, I do. Um, legendary lawman Wyatt Earp, after massive success in Dodge City, Kansas, he moves his family to Tombstone, Arizona, seeking to make his fortune and retire in peace, and instead, instead runs afoul of the Cowboys gang, a criminal enterprise running the town. Uh, and I mean, he tries. He tries not to get involved. Um, but uh, his brother Virgil can't look away from the things that are happening to the people of the town, and um, thus the Earp brothers uh, take on the cowboys with the help of a few um, brave souls, including the aforementioned Doc Holliday. Um, I have a friend who's a screenwriter, and uh, he told me once that <laughs> one of the things he dislikes about this movie is that it's, you know, you're not supposed to have a secondary character stealing the spotlight from the main character. And it's hard to remember sometimes that Wyatt Earp is the main character of this movie because Doc Hall Holliday is just so charismatic and so funny. And, and literally he, he literally in. is like a scene bandit, you know. Um, but I think it works in this movie because 
they need each other, you know? Yeah. Um, they're different. Their personalities are so different, but Wyatt always believes in Doc, even when his brothers question his motivations. Um, you know, it, it, it's a buddy movie. They're, they're friends um, above all else. They're loyal to each other. They go above and beyond to help each other. Um, the Earp brothers are brave and courageous. Um, I, I honestly think that Powers Booth is one of the best parts of this movie. He's um, a great villain. I mean, he, he really is. I mean, he's, well, bye. I mean, how, that's like a meme now. There's a Powers Booth meme, okay? Because he's so amazing as uh, Curly Bill. Um, it, it's a classic good versus evil um, story. Uh, heroes versus bad guys, you know? Like, it's not it's not that much more complicated than that. It's a, it's, it's good versus bad. And, um, you know, and good triumphs. And that's what we want to see when we go to the movies. We want to see good triumph um and uh, it's just a uplifting it's a funny movie i've been quoting this movie for 30 freaking years almost um my absolute favorite i picked a line from tombstone to share because it cracks me up doc holiday talking to ike clanton how come all the best lines are talking to ike clanton because he's just a he's a he's the village idiot really (laughs) maybe poker's just not your game i know let's have a spelling contest literally kills me because i mean how do you it's like tell me i'm stupid without telling me i'm stupid right (laughs) let's have a spelling contest insult someone without them even realizing i mean Look, I could talk about Tombstone for a long time, especially because it makes me feel less sad and depressed than everything else on my list and yours combined. So um, it is a rip-snorting Western, <laughs> the best of the genre that came out. You just snorted. I just you snorted. Actually, I you rip-snorted. Rip, you rip-snorted. <laughs> I um, rip-snorted. I would say of the revitalized Western genre in the early 90s, I think Tombstone is the best of the bunch. Uh, is it historically accurate? I don't know. And you know what? I frankly don't care because it's so entertaining. And it has a really early performance by Thomas Hayden Church. I almost forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one. <laughs> Stephen Stankin Foster. <laughs> it's just, if you haven't seen Tombstone in a long time, put it on. Enjoy Val Kilmer. Laugh your buttocks off. It's it's worth it. I promise. Yeah, it's a classic. It really is. Uh, I'm going to do my honorable mentions now, if that's all right with you. By all means. All right. So I have some rip snorting honorable mentions. And then mentions. let's have a spelling contest. <laughs> Uh, let's not and say we did. Um, I have a couple on my uh, honorable mentions that you actually had in your list. Uh, Philadelphia and In the Name of the Father. Very powerful movies. Just missed my list. Uh, I have The Adorable Groundhog Day, which is a fun Bill Murray romp. Uh, romp. You can't go wrong with Bill Murray. And it revitalized uh, I Got You, Babe. <laughs> uh, you had The Pelican Brief on your list. I actually put The Firm in my honorable mentions. The other great Holly Hunter movie of that year. Also with some guy named Tom Cruise, I think. Hanks? Oh, no. 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 Cru- Cruise. It's Cruise. And and another guy named Richard Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Right? Easy, Richard. easy, easy. <laughs> all right, all right. And Gene Hackman, too. Uh, I have the spooky alien abduction movie, Fire in the Sky. If you haven't seen this movie, it's kind of a flew-under-the-radar sci-fi movie with D.B. Sweeney based on a true account of an alien abduction. I'm not going to say it's a true story because, you know. Who knows? <laughs> alien abduction stories are debatable um you also had searching for bobby fisher in your um list i put that as an honorable mention and also the merchant ivory production the remains of the day that one just missed my list i feel it's not quite as good as howard's end anthony hopkins is great in it but he kind of annoys me too his character not him his character 
Like I will spend the whole movie wanting to slap him. Like Emma Thompson's right in front of you. Oh my god. So anyway, those are my honorable mentions. Awesome. I have honorable mentions too, many of which have already been mentioned. So I'm going to mention them again. Uh, <laughs> sleep- why not? <laughs> yeah, Sleepless in Seattle. You had it on your list. It just missed mine. Um, it's a. It is a really char- it is a really charming movie, and the the kid is great. It's a. Um, it's a. I love the love story, not just with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, but the one with um, his dead wife as well. Uh, mm-hmm. How much he loved her, how apparent that is. You know the stories he's able to tell, and how he's able to share that love with his son, especially the scene there with the apple. Um, I think Rosie O'Donnell is hilarious, actually, in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Walter, <laughs> she, she's really funny. Um, it, it, it's a great rom com. Um, if, if you're a fan of the genre, I definitely recommend it. And like you said, you can't go wrong having Harry Connick Jr. on your score. Um, I also put the firm on my honorable mentions. Like I said, two great Grishams came out. I'm a big fan of John Grisham anyway. Um, I not, I gave the Pelican Brief the little extra edge um, just because I liked the tension throughout. But the firm is also an excellent entry starring Ed Harris, who is fantastic. <laughs> and and Wilford Brimley. Let's not forget Wilford Brimley. Yeah, he's actually kind of creepy in this. He's really creepy. Yeah. Um, I put the Sandlot. <laughs> as an honorable mention which it was a really fun movie about you're young kids yes i mean if you don't know you're killing me smalls i mean are you do you even live in this world um i have the michael douglas movie falling down um which also <laughs> yeah right he's uh it's it, it, i'm a foo fighters fan right i don't know if anybody knows that some of you who listen to but it it was actually uh they kind of parodied falling down in the music video for walk with dave grohl in the michael keaton character but michael it's kind Douglas. of good lord <laughs> <laughs> oh my god michael you guys i need to go to bed she <laughs> walked the michael douglas character i got dave Grohl right though i mean yeah. just saying sure um, it's not david yeah like that. <laughs> that's it i quit <laughs> i'm just kidding um it's a movie about a guy who loses his family and his job and his eventually his grip on reality and it's kind of like a slow deterioration into um how the world he lives in just has not risen to his expectations. Um, a lot of angst. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, Jurassic Park on my honorable mentions. I know you had it in yours. Um, it's a it's a great great movie. Good uh, Steven Spielberg film. Lots of fun action. Like you said, Jeff Goldblum is hilarious. I also have Fire in the Sky. Um, Fire in the Sky is. Uh, it, it's also like a dual storyline movie, right? Because there's the abduction that takes place. and But there's also the police inquiry into his friends, Travis Walton's friends, because the police aren't really buying that their buddy was abducted by an alien. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they're kind of looking for him. Um, so it features James Garner in a role as a, uh, a dogged detective. It's good. It's hard to find, though. It really is. It is prime prime video. Oh, it doesn't? Do they have it? Okay. Uh, I got a couple of guilty indulgences. Of course, as we usually mention, these are movies that aren't necessarily like fantastic examples of cinema at its finest, but they're just movies we love anyway, because sometimes they're just goofy fun. Sometimes they're just, you put on if you're in a bad mood and you want some cheering up or something. So I got Dave as a guilty indulgence. This is a fun kind of take on the Prisoner of Zenda story about uh, replacing a corrupt politician with a lookalike with Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver and Ben Kingsley. 
He was also everywhere in 1993. So that's, th- that's three movies we've mentioned with Ben Kingsley, too. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's just a fun kind of a spoof of Washington and the presidents and all that good stuff. Uh, I also have a kooky um, romantic comedy, I guess, with Michael J. Fox and Gabrielle Anwar called For Love or Money. It's not great. You can see everything that's coming a mile away, but it's it just rides high on charm. Michael J. Fox plays a fast-talking concierge chasing his dream of uh, owning a big hotel. Romantic complications ensue. Uh, I also have The Sandlot is a guilty indulgence. You just mentioned it. I don't need to go any further than that. And also The Three Musketeers, Disney's absolutely goofy take of Alexander Dumas' story. But it's just so much fun. I mean, what a great cast. Do in large part to Oliver Platt. Do hilarious. Uh, Oliver Platt, Kiefer Sutherland, Charlie Sheen, Chris O'Donnell, um, just so many cool people. Again, Gabriel Anwar. Yeah, Gabriel Anwar again. And also Julie Delpy. Julie Delpy uh, as well. And Tim Curry. Tim Curry. <laughs> <laughs> He's, uh, uh, yeah. It does have one of the most, the most cringy scenes of a 93 movie, though, when he kind of sneaks in when the queen, Gabriel Anwar, is taking a bath and yeah. sneaks up behind her. That scene is the only cringy scene in the whole movie, though, if I'm being honest. Well, he's Cardinal Richelieu, and he gets his comeuppance. Yes, he does. It also has Rebecca de Mornay. It is also on my guilty pleasures list. Um, Oliver Platt is hilarious. <laughs> well, don't be so stupid. Of course we intend to resist. He's, he's taking care of something ugly. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's so funny. I don't... You know, I just watched it again recently, again, in preparation for the... You'd think the fact that I watched these movies in preparation for the podcast would mean that I would remember people's names that are actually in them. Um, but this there's one, a lot of information going on here, people. This one does okay? not have Denzel Washington. Or, does not have Denzel Washington. Does not have Ben Kingsley. Not have any of the Harris boys. It's just... But it has, it has Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. And it's a... It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it takes the Three Musketeers story and just kind of makes it into a kind of a campy adventure type movie and it's, it's, a, it's a romp it's a lot of fun i have dave on my list as well i thought dave was really good um and i have uh, disney's cool runnings <laughs> the story of the jamaican bobsled team and i am sure in hindsight that the representation of the jamaican people is probably culturally insensitive but i think their story deserved to be told and i don't know anybody who doesn't ball like a baby at the end when they pick up that freaking bobsled and carry it across the finish line because they refuse to give up and so, um, again, as I said before, sports movies can be a little bit cheesy and camping, um, campy, um, as long as they do the inspirational part right. And Cool Runnings has a ton of inspiration to it. Um, so that is, hey, that's it. That's a wrap. And we talked a lot today. We we're almost at an hour and a half. Good gracious me. I know. I hope you all stayed with us. Typically, we try to stay around an hour. We pontificated quite a bit. I think if we had said Denzel Washington and or Juliet Binoche like two or three fewer times, we might have come in under time. I shaved a good 15 minutes off. Right. But, you know, I mean, when people deserve to be talked about, they deserve deserve to be be talked about. about. Uh, Highlights coming up for 1994. All I'm going to say is, holy crap, I'm having a hard time with my list because there's so many good movies. We may actually do 15 uh no then we'd be talking for three hours 12 maybe 12 (laughs) i don't know well we're gonna negotiate we'll get back to y'all again we thank you very much for listening or we're gonna have 15 honorable mentions each that's fair too we do thank all of you um for listening and for tuning into the podcast i i hope we've given you some movies that you forgot about that you want to watch again or some new favorites that you want to watch um 
please join us again for our next episode. We enjoy bringing our favorite movies to you guys. Uh, if nothing else, it gives us some good sibling bonding time. So um, it is our pleasure. I promise I'll get names right next time. And <laughs> you're killing me, small. And I will try now to write. I'll try to write them legibly on my card so that I don't now have go these problems. To our show. That's right. So I don't have these problems. So um, that's it for today. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, this is the Gen X Cinema Geeks Live over and out. <laughs> <laughs>